0: Chapter 3 of Mildred and Elsie. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Adrian Stevens. Mildred and Elsie by Martha Finlay. Chapter 3. Ant shall go hard, but I will delve one yard below their mines, and blow them at the moon. Shakespeare. The sun was just peeping over the tops of the tall city houses as Mildred entered the carriage, which was to convey her to the depot. Mr Dinsmore and little Elsie, the two whom it was a grief of heart to her to leave, were with her. Mrs Dinsmore and the others had bidden good goodbye before retiring the previous night and were still in bed. Elsie, darling, won't you sit in cousin's lap, Mildred said, holding out her arms to receive the child, as her grandfather handed her in at the carriage door. No, no, she is much too heavy, and there is abundance of room, he said hastily. But I want to hold her, uncle, returned Mildred, drawing the little one to her knee. I love dearly to have her in my arms, and this is my last chance. As you will, then, a wilful woman will have her way, he said lightly, as he settled himself on the opposite seat, and the door closed upon them with a bang. The rattling of the wheels over the cobblestones as they drove rapidly onward made conversation next to impossible, but Mildred was not sorry. Her heart was almost too full for speech. She clasped little Elsie close, the child nestling lovingly in her arms, while they mingled their caresses and tears. At the depot too, where there was a half-hour of waiting, they clung together as those who knew not how to part, Elsie's low sobs were pitiful to hear, but she stood in too great awe of her grandfather to indulge in any loud lament. He, however, did not reprove her, but seemed to quite compassionate her grief, and tried to assuage it with promises of gifts and indulgences, for Mildred had succeeded to some extent in softening his heart towards the motherless little one, which she now perceived with joy and thankfulness. His kindness to herself had been uniform from the first and continued to the last moment, not till he had seen her on board the train and made as comfortable as possible did he resign her to the care of Mr. Lord, then with a fatherly kiss and an affectionate message to her mother, he left her. As the train moved slowly on, she caught a last glimpse of him and of Aunt Chloe standing by his side with the weeping Elsie in her arms. Mr. Lord essayed the office of comforter. That is a sweet child, Miss Mildred, a very sweet child, and Mr. Dinsmore seems a noble man. These partings are sad, especially so when we are young, but let the thought of the dear ones to whom you are going, and of the better land where partings are unknown, console and cheer you now. Mildred could hardly have commanded her voice to reply, and was glad the increasing noise of the train relieved her of the necessity for doing so. But she dried her eyes and resolutely forced her tears back to their fountain, calling to mind the lessons on the duty of cheerfulness taught her by her mother, by both precept and example. And oh, it was joy to know that each mile passed over was bearing her nearer to that loved monitor— What a cheering thought was that, and scarcely less so the prospect of seeing Aunt Wealthy, with whom she and Mr. Lord were to spend a few days, Lansdale being not far out of their route in crossing Ohio. At that day there was no continuous line of railroad from Philadelphia to Pittsburgh. They travelled sometimes by canal, sometimes by stage, passing over the mountains in the latter. This proved the most exciting and perilous part of the journey— the roads being almost all the way very steep and often lying along the edge of a precipice, to plunge over which would be certain horrible death. Much of the scenery was grand and beautiful, but the enjoyment of it greatly interfered with by the sense of danger. Many a time Mildred's heart seemed to leap into her mouth and she sent up a silent but strong cry to God that he would keep the horses from stumbling, their feet from treading too near the verge. There was one afternoon so full of terror of this kind and importunate prayer for preservation that she felt she could never forget it to the day of her death should she leave to the age of Methuselah. The stage was full. The back seat was occupied by our heroine and a young mother with a babe in her arms and another little one by her side. The remaining seats were filled with gentlemen. That fellow is drunk and in a terribly bad humour remarked one of the latter, as the driver slammed the door to upon them and mounted to his perch. "'In no fit condition to guide those horses over the steep and narrow passes that lie between this and our next halting-place,' added another uneasily, "'you had an altercation with him, hadn't you, Blake?' addressed the first speaker. "'Yes, Mr. Gray, I had. What business had he to hurry us off in this style? Why, we were scarcely seated at the dinner-table when he blew his horn.' We all had to run to avoid being left. Quite true. That's so, assented several voices. And the same thing is repeated again and again until it has become quite unbearable, Blake went on, his eyes sparkling with anger. We pay for our food and have no chance to eat it. There seems to be some collusion between the innkeepers and drivers for the purpose of defrauding travellers, remarked Mr Lord. Are we not going very fast? asked the young mother turning a pale, anxious face towards the last speaker. Yes, dangerously so, and putting his head out of the window, he called to the driver, mildly requesting him to slacken his speed. The reply was a volley of oaths and curses, while the whip was applied to the horses in a way that made them rear and plunge frightfully. They had been toiling up a steep ascent. And now were skirting the mountainside, a high wall of rock on the one hand, a sheer descent of many hundred feet on the other. Blake glanced from the window with a shudder and turned a ghastly face upon the others. We shall be hurled into eternity in another minute, he said in a hoarse whisper. Then voice after voice was raised, calling to the driver in expostulation, warning, entreaty, "'You're risking your own life as well as ours,' cried one. "'I tell you, I don't care,' he shouted back with a fearful oath. "'We're behind time, and I'll lose my place if I don't make it up. "'I'll get you to sea by half-past five, "'or land you in hell, I don't care which.' "'Oh, my children, my poor little children,' cried the mother, "'clasping her babe closer to her breast and bursting into tears. "'Then, in a sort of desperation,' She thrust her head out of the window and shrieked to the man, For the love of heaven, driver, have mercy on my poor babes. The man was probably a father, for that appeal reached his heart, hardened as it was. There was instantly a very sensible diminution of their fearful velocity, though the stage still rolled on at a dangerously rapid rate, keeping them all in terror until at length it drew up before the door of a tavern where they were to halt for their supper. The gentleman made haste to alight. Mr. Lord handed out Mildred, then the mother and her children. You must be very tired, ladies, he said, following them into the parlour of the inn, which was very plainly furnished with rag carpet, wooden chairs and settee, and green paper window blinds. Nothing tasteful, nothing inviting, except an appearance of order and cleanliness. Yes, sir, I am dreadfully tired, The strange lady answered, dropping into a chair and setting her babe on her knee while she drew the other child to her side and wiped the tears from its cheeks, for it was sobbing pitifully. That was a fearful ride. The jolting and shaking were bad enough, but the fright was ten times worse, and we're almost starved, she added. My little Mary is crying with hunger. I hope they'll give us time to eat here. Do you know, sir, how soon the stage starts on again? "'I will step out and inquire also how soon the supper will be ready,' Mr Lord said, moving toward the door. "'Can I do anything for you, Miss Mildred?' he asked, pausing upon the threshold. "'You were looking wretchedly pale and fatigued,' he added, in a tone of concern. "'The other gentleman had gone to the bar room, but at this moment Blake came to the window of the parlour, "'looking out upon a porch which ran along the whole front of the house,' "'He looked red and angry. "'It seems the same game is to be repeated here,' he said, addressing Mr. Lord. "'The supper is not ready, and the stage will leave in half an hour. "'There is every appearance of rain, too. "'The night will be cloudy and dark, "'making travel over these mountains doubly dangerous. "'I propose that we all decide to remain where we are overnight "'and let the stage go empty. "'If the whole party will agree in doing so,' will serve the rascal right, and perhaps teach him a useful and much-needed lesson. What do you say, sir, you and your daughter? Uh, My lady friend, stammered Mr. Lord, colouring violently. What do you think of the plan, Miss Mildred? Her cheek too flushed a rosy red as she answered eagerly. Oh, let us stay, by all means. I'm sure it would be better a great deal than risking our lives on such roads at night. Just what I think, said the other lady, and my little ones are too tired to travel any farther tonight. I shall stay whether the rest do or not. I intend that the children and I shall have a chance to eat one full meal at any rate, she added to Mildred as the gentlemen walked away together. The call to supper followed almost immediately upon the announcement that no one would leave in the stage that night. With the keen appetites they brought to it, Our travellers found the fare excellent, good bread and butter, baked potatoes, ham and fresh laid eggs. Mr. Lord, seated between the two ladies, was very kind and attentive to both, but as usual did some absurdly absent-minded things. Do you really prefer salt to sugar in your coffee, Mr. Lord? asked Mildred demurely, but with a mischievous twinkle in her eye as she saw him draw the salt cellar toward him, and dip his teaspoon into it. She had stayed his hand just in time. Oh, certainly not, he said, laughing to cover his confusion, as he hastily emptied the spoon into his saucer. It is a very pleasant evening, he remarked, sugaring his potato. Do you think so? said Mildred, listening to the dash of the rain against the window, for the threatened storm had come. Then, I suppose, like the shepherd of Salisbury Plains, are pleased with whatever kind of weather is sent? Certainly we all should be, he said, but I was not aware till this moment that it was raining. Mildred, presently becoming interested in some talk going on between her opposite neighbours, had for the moment almost forgotten Mr Lord's existence. She was recalled to it by a hasty movement on his part. He suddenly pushed back his chair, rose and walked out of the room. A glance at his saucer, half full of coffee, then at the laughing eyes of the other lady, enlightened our heroine as the cause of his sudden exit. "'Salted coffee is not, I find, particularly palatable,' he remarked, coming back and resuming his seat. "'I am a sadly absent-minded person, Miss Mildred. "'You should watch over me and prevent such mistakes as my mother does at home. "'I really do not feel equal to so arduous an undertaking.' was her sprightly rejoinder. This is a lonely spot, not another house in sight, they say, remarked the mother of the children to Mildred as they returned to the parlour. I am timid about sleeping alone in a strange place, and should like to have a room adjoining yours if you do not object, are not afraid of being so near a lioness and her cubs, she added with a slight laugh. I am Miss Lion, Mildred gave her name in return and expressed entire acquiescence in the proposed arrangement. Being much fatigued with their journey, they presently retired. They were up and dressed betimes to make sure of their breakfast before the early hour at which the stage was to leave, but they were treated to a repetition of their former experiences. The meal was delayed and they had been scarcely ten minutes at the table When they heard the roll and rumble of the wheels and the loud toot-toot of the driver's horn as the stage swept round from the stables and drew up before the tavern door. There was a hasty swallowing down of another mouthful or two, a hurried scramble for hats, bonnets and parcels, a crowding into the vehicle and in a moment more it was toiling up the mountainside. The appetite of no one of the party had been fully satisfied and there was a good deal of grumbling and complaining from this one and that. "'I tell you, friends,' said Blake, "'it is high time there was a stop put to this thing. "'I have an idea in my head, "'and at the next stopping place, "'if we are hurried off in the usual style, "'I want you all to follow my example, if you will. "'These rascally fellows will find themselves outwitted.' "'What is it?' "'What's your plan?' queried another, and another, "'but the only answer was—' Wait, and you will see, gentlemen. There is one thing I have thought of, Mrs Lyon said to Mildred. I'll have my own and the children's bonnets on before we are called to the meals. Then, if there should be some soiling of ribbons, it will be better than going hungry. This driver was sober and quiet, the ride, in consequence, less trying than that of the previous afternoon. Between twelve and one they halted for dinner at another country inn. There was, as usual, a little waiting time. Then they sat down to an abundant and very inviting meal, but had not half satisfied their appetites when Roll of Wheels and Toot of Horn again summoned them to resume their journey. Every eye in the party turned upon Blake. He sprang up instantly, seized a roast chicken by the leg with one hand, his hat in the other, and ran for the stage. "'All right,' cried Gray.' "'picking up a pie. "'I'll send the plate home by the driver, landlord!' "'he shouted back as he too darted from the door. "'Looking on in dumb astonishment, "'the landlord saw bread, rolls, butter, pickles, cheese, "'and hard-boiled eggs disappear in like manner, "'and before he could utter a remonstrance, "'the stage was whirling away down the mountain, "'not a passenger left behind, "'nor nearly so much food as would have remained.' "'had they been permitted to finish their meal at the table. "'Outwitted this time, sure as I'm born,' he muttered at length, "'turning back to the deserted dining-room "'and ruefully eyeing his despoiled board. "'His wife came hurrying in from the kitchen. "'So they're off, and we'll have our dinner now. "'But!' And she starred aghast at an empty platter. "'I say, Jones, where's that chicken? "'Didn't I tell you that was for ourselves?' "'and he wasn't to put a knife into it?' "'Neither did I,' he answered half-savagely. "'And it's all the worse for us, seeing they've carried it off whole. "'And if I'd a cut it, there might have been part left on the plate.' "'Carried it off?' she cried. "'Well, I never. "'It was the nicest, fattest, tenderest bit of a spring chicken ever, you see.' "'And with a groan she began gathering up the empty dishes. "'Take that newspaper out of my coat pocket.' And spread it over my knees, won't you, Gray? said Blake, the moment they were fairly seated in the stage. Now your jackknife, please, and I'll carve this fowl. I fear it'll not be very scientifically dismembered, he went on, when his request had been complied with, but sufficiently so to enable me to make a terribly equal distribution. What is your choice, ma'am? addressing Mrs. Lyon. The result of their coup d'etat was a very comfortable, enjoyable meal, seasoned with many a merry jest over the discomfiture of the foe, and the makeshifts they themselves were put to for lack of the usual table appliances. End of chapter three